Welcome to Dharma If You Dare. I'm Christopher Lawley, Planet Dharma team member and producer of the podcast. Today's recording is a talk that Doug Capel Duncan gave recently on the topic of the Bardos. In the talk, he explores how we really experience a death in every moment and describes in detail the steps in the death process and how consciousness finds its way to its next rebirth. I actually just got back from Clear Sky, the retreat center where Capel and Catherine Sensei are resident teachers. I got to spend the long weekend there for Canadian Thanksgiving. It's now been 15 years since I met Capel and Sensei, and yet I am continually in awe of how committed and skillful they are in working one-on-one and with small groups of students in person. I trust you find the recordings we publish here to be helpful, and at the same time, there really is no substitute for in-person contact with the awakened mind. If you are looking for that sort of supercharged spiritual guidance, ClearSky has a residential program called the three-month intensive that blends study, practice, karma yoga, and individualized training. Participants find it's a truly transformational experience that they can take back into the world in a meaningful way because of the emphasis on fully integrating insights and wisdom into all aspects of the practitioner's life. Getting back to the talk on the Bardos, I really think you can hear the depth of knowledge and expertise Capel brings to this topic. And at the same time, I also hope you get a sense of the depth of compassion that those of us who have had the opportunity to study closely with him in person have experienced. And now here's the recording. Greetings, humanoids. It's good to see you all. Welcome to the talk on death and rebirth. It's a hot topic these days, I guess, death and dying. We'll start with Leonard Cohen's little statement, which is there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. So fundamentally, that's what bardo means. Bardo means crack or gap and uh, space, emptiness, openness, possibility. Without the gaps, nothing could exist. So it's the space that lets the notes ring out in. It's the, it's the space between the words. It's the space between the thoughts. It's the space between the feelings. In other words, it allows everything to happen that needs to happen. In that sense, it's pure potential. So in pure potential, you can think of an example, maybe a metaphor. And the classic metaphor used in Bardo teachings is the child running to the lap of its mother. So I imagine not too many people out there think of death as a child running to its mother's lap. But you think of the possibilities. The child is like a birth, and the mother is kind of like the end of birth and the end of the the process. So while a child is being born, ready to run, the running is the action, it's your life. You, You run through your life, and then at the end you fall into your mother's arms. It's a death, it's the end of something. So this idea of a baby or a child running into its mother's arms is a very classic example in in Bardo teachings about the nature of impermanence, the nature of not being sure, not being confident. You never know what could happen between the baby when it starts running and it gets to its mother. It'll probably end up doing all sorts of wild things, like getting married and having kids and owing money and getting a debt and paying it back and 
fixing the car and but this is this is the nature of this beast is that it's uncertain and insofar as it's uncertain anything can happen anything is possible and at any point in the process the particular action could get disturbed or distracted or turned in a different way we're never really sure we like to think we're sure but we're never really sure and because of that everything's impermanent and since everything is impermanent and it's unsure it's insubstantial when we speak of death we're really speaking of the nature of the insubstantial or the impermanent or the inability to know for sure what's going on ever so that's kind of perhaps a, a little bit of the big picture way of looking at things but in the small in the small picture it's every moment every moment is a death and as westerners and as modern people we don't think too much about the end of every moment being a death and the birth of every moment being a new one most of us anyway are more concerned with what's going to happen in the next moment than we are in what we just finished what just was ended so for instance when you get born they tell you well you're going to grow up you're going to get married, you're going to get a job, and you're going to have a good life. They don't tell you you're going to die. Right? They just skip that part. We'll just, we'll just talk about continuous living forever. But anyway, because of this uncertainty, the ego knows better. The ego likes to pretend it's certain. The ego likes to think, well, I'm me. I'm, I'm, I was me yesterday. I'll be me tomorrow. I'm, I'm me for the duration. But all that we're really defining when we say me is the, the degree with which we hold fixed patterns and fixed behaviors and fixed opinions and fixed values. And death just puts a kibosh in that whole thing. Death just says, no, there's, there's nothing fixed going on here. There's nothing that stays the same. There's nothing that remains permanent from moment to moment. So I try as an ego, I try to act with certainty but I know basically I don't have any. And, and that lack of real certainty makes us feel confused. We feel confused because there is no certainty in anything we're doing to give ourselves definition, boundaries, identity, all of it. And so when it comes to actually meeting death and looking at the gap in the bardo, the ego is justifiably terrified because the ego isn't gonna make that transition. The ego does not make the transition from birth to death to rebirth. The ego disappears in the center. It dissolves. It goes back to its constituent parts. However, consciousness does. And there are meditators who have made the journey from death to rebirth and mapped the journey for us that we can say that we know consciousness continues. But it's not going to continue as Andy or Maya or Ruth or anyone else. It's just consciousness moves on without us. <laughs> Which, like I said, from the ego point of view, is the fear of annihilation, one of the four big fears. So it makes sense that if you want to learn how to navigate from death to rebirth in a salubrious and efficient and happy way, you'll want to know what's going on in consciousness that isn't within the realm of your ego, that isn't within the realm of your plans and your schemes and your hopes and your fears. You'll want to be very comfortable with that which is not you. So far, so good. So getting comfortable with not you means <laughs> that you actually have to shut up. 
and get quiet for a bit and drop the plans and all the activities once in a while to find out what consciousness does when you're not there. And that's what the Bardo teachings are all about. It's learning how to navigate the journey. Well, arguably the most secure and definitive way with which we define ourselves is in the body. So we're going to look at the nature of impermanence and change from the point of view of the body. So when you're born, the white element of the father and the red element from the mother meet. And the central form, the central channel in the fetus, in the baby. The white father element and the red mother element remain separate for the duration of the life. These two come back together again when the life-bearing winds, now there are seven winds, but basically life-preserving and fire-enhancing and upward-moving and downward-going and eliminating, which are kind of glorified ways to tell you what your biology is doing, like going to the bathroom. That's the downward-voiding wind. They don't, they don't say you're going to the bathroom. They say you are experiencing the downward-voiding wind because they're polite, I guess. Anyway, so the, the winds go back and forth in the central channel from the forehead to the navel and below throughout your life. But when you die, the elements start to decay. So the first thing that goes are the elements of nature, the, the earth element, which is extension. So when you're dying, your body feels like it's crackling or breaking up. It doesn't feel like it has any integrity. The liquid element, the water element, starts to dry out. So you, you feel parched, thirsty. You can't, really, you can't really satisfy your thirst. Your digestion gets really poor. You don't have any caloricity. You don't have any fire. In, that's the fire-pervading wind. That wind dissolves. And lastly, of course, the breathing or the air-moving wind, the motility wind. And so with, with that, the breath stops. So when you die, the white male element descends and the red element ascends and meet in the heart. You can experience this in meditation as kind of a white sinking sun might show up in your meditation, or a red rising sun might show up in your meditation. And when the two meet in the heart, they turn black. It turns black. And that black light is like space light. So it's, it's very um, peaceful, but also to the ego, very scary. That, lasts, that can last for a couple of days, that kind of black light, where you're fundamentally unconscious, kind of like when you're in deep sleep. And then after about you know a couple of days, the lights separate again. It's not so much they separate as that it's like the clouds clear, and you experience what is called the clear light or the or the radiant light or the luminescent light. And along with all this process, with the dissolution of the earth element, you might get images of mirages. And with the water element, you might get flooding rivers. And with the fire element, you get like volcanoes. And with the air element, you might get like butter lamps or bulrushes in your visions. So while you're dying, like as, as if you were dreaming, these images kind of show up for you. And so if you recognize these images as you're dying, you go, oh, okay, that's the, that's the earth element dissolving. That's the fire element dissolving. It's cool. We're not lost. We're not in some vast, strange hell. We're just 
we're like going to school. It's like, you know, you get up, you carry your books, you go to school, you get to school, you go to school. So this process now becomes much less scary, much less problematic. Also, you might get sounds. So curiously enough, the Tibetan orchestra is kind of based on all the sounds you get in the bardo. So there's bells and trumpets and horns and what am I missing? Drums and cymbals. And these are all sounds that can happen on the interior plane as well. Now, we would argue that everything you see in life, including your favorite rock band, actually discovered everything they knew about everything in the bardo. They were kind of in the bardo, and they were getting like cymbals and drums and stringed instruments and guitars. And they came out and they wrote music about it, whether it's Beethoven or the Beatles. But these, these are signs that the outer elements are dissolving on you. So far, so good. Now, once the breath stops, which is at the dissolution of the four elements, and the breathing stops, you're dead. From a clinical point of view, you're dead. The, the consciousness, the body's no longer breathing. It's starting, it's beginning to start to decay. But your consciousness is still there, and consciousness is still functioning. And what the consciousness does now is looks around for where it is and what's going on. It kind of comes back awake and it says, well, like, where am I? What's going on? What's happening? Am I in a dream? Is this a dream? And it'll, it'll turn to it. Maybe your son or your daughter or somebody is there and you're, you're dying. And it, the parent, the dead person will turn to the, the son. Andy, Andy, I, hi, Andy, Andy, I'm here, I'm here. Andy doesn't hear, or Maya might reach out and try to touch somebody, but they don't feel it, they're not there, because, and then it finally dawns on you, you're dead. I'm not dreaming. Nope, I'm not here anymore. I'm kind of dead. And at that point, the consciousness panics, typically. And the consciousness panics because it has, it now is in what they call an illusory body. It's like a dream body. And you know how much control you have over your dreams, right? Probably not a lot. So same too in the illusory body, you're all over the map. Consciousness runs helter-skelter all over the place, looking for some place to go, some sort of direction, some sort of whatever. And you run into what they call the three abysses. And the three abysses are basically run on previous karma. So whatever karma you had coming in, there's the so-called black abyss, which is a kind of a dullness. You're not sure what to do with yourself. And there's kind of an, a deep abyss of fear that, that manifests as aggression. And there's a kind of another vast abyss of desire, which says, well, anything, give me anything. Pizza would do, you know, uh, popcorn. I don't know what do you got. A, you got wine. You, do you have something out there that I can use to kind of just hang on to while I go through this dissolution of everything? So again, with the, with the sounds, you might get the sounds of avalanches and strings and etc. Okay, so that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. At that point, you're dead. And at that point, consciousness has gone through. It goes into the four lights, the white, the red, the black, and then the clear light, which we've already talked about. You wander around for a while. And then as you come out of this sleep or unconsciousness, consciousness starts looking around for ways to occupy itself. This is no longer, there's no longer a, a Janae there. There's no longer a Sarah there. 
it's just consciousness doing its thing. And in the same way, there's not really a you in dream. Now, at this point, then, the karmic latencies kick in, and they drive you to look for rebirth. And uh, this process of the that I've just described, you go through on the way out, but you also go through on the way to waking up in the bardo, what we call the bardo body. And then if you, in those seven days, if you don't find a rebirth, you go back through those steps, those four and seven steps, the four dissolution of the elements and the four lights, eight steps. And you do it again. So you go in and out and in and out. And you'll do it up to seven times. But now that you're approaching rebirth, you're in this bardo called the bardo of the Dharmadatta. And uh, it has certain elements. If you have the wherewithal to appreciate it, if you don't have the practice or the focus of consciousness to carry yourself through the bardo, you'll be driven to rebirth. And and so that'll be quite quick. So your your habitual karma will pick you up, so-called your habitual karma will pick you up somewhere in there. And then you'll you'll swoon or you're, you'll be like a moth to the flame. And you, you just, you'll just go into this kind of flame, you know, something, and you'll basically see a woman and a man copulating. I don't know what they're doing with test tubes, babies. Maybe you see droppers. I, I don't know, New World. Or uteral fertilization. I don't know, maybe maybe get impregnated by a needle. It's a strange relationship. It's going to make for very strange human relationships going forward, by the way. It's going to be techno, techno sex which maybe we're already there. Anyway, but what happens is, is that you get close to the womb and it gets busy. It's like uh, Heathrow or, or uh, Toronto or O'Hare. There are like consciousnesses hovering all over the place. It's like a zoo, right? And you're one of those flies trying to get to that meat because that's literally what you're doing. You're trying to get your consciousness embedded in form. You're kind of a like a fly trying to get a some meat to land on. Whether you land on the mother or the father, meat determines historically your gender. So if you're attracted to the father, you get born as a woman. If you're attracted to the mother, you get born as a male. There is variation in this, but pretty much most people are born with either the genitalia of one parent or the other. And uh, it kind of gives a little note on the incest theme that oh, I'm, no, I'm, I'm more attracted to men, so typically I'll be born female, and, and if I'm more attracted to women, I'll typically be born male. But by the way, this doesn't say anything about gender preference in terms of sexual behavior later, because there's all sorts of hormones and chemicals and stuff that happens at birth that affect where you tend to lean on the rainbow spectrum. All right, well, if you don't do that, if you stay in the clear light, if you can stay in the consciousness that understands what's going on and not be fooled by the movie, can you go to a movie and not be fooled by the fact you're watching a movie? Do you go to a movie and forget you're watching a movie? If you can go to this movie called Death and remember through the whole way through it that you're watching a movie, and this is really bad casting by central casting called Mum and Dad, but if you can, if you can keep your cool through that, uh, you're going to go through basically six steps, seven steps in the in the Dharmata. There's going to be a complete dissolving into space. And if you can enjoy that, it's called the complete enjoyment body. 
And then after that, space will dissolve into luminosity. And this is called the great bliss, uh, sometimes called the father, mother, joy. And this is because now you see the, the beauty of manifestation, the beauty of creation. And then the luminosity dissolves into union. And from a practitioner's point of view, especially if you do tantra, this is where it gets really interesting. Because as luminosity dissolves into union, all the deities appear. You get the hundred major deities of the mandala. Now remember, deities means archetypes. So they may not come out Tibetan. They may come out as shamanistic or North American Indian or Martian. Or if you've seen a lot of science fiction movies, they may look like aliens or something. You know, who knows what they're going to look like. But if you understand their characteristics, then you'll understand that there's going to be about 42 peaceful deities that are kind of nice, pat you on the head, tell you everything's fine. And there's going to be about 50 wrathful deities who kind of say, what the frick are you doing? Get your shit in gear and get that butt on the plane or something like that. And you can have eight that are semi-wrathful, that are kind of in between. Sometimes they're in a good, you know, like your parents. Sometimes they're in a good mood. Sometimes they're not in a good mood. Sometimes they think you're great. Sometimes they think you're an idiot. But what we're talking about here is not so much your behavior pattern as fits in society. What it, we're talking about here is your karmic propensities of clinging, attachment, and aversion, or their opposites, which is generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. So... Once the deities do their whole thing, and, and I remember one particular acid trip on the West Coast when it was, it was I'll tell you, it was an orgy in my mind, uh, in the clouds and the skies, you know, fornication of deities and couples and wrathful deities and peaceful deities. It was like Cecil B. DeMille, if anybody is old enough to remember who Cecil B. DeMille was. Okay, anyway, that's uh, luminosity dissolving into union. And then union dissolves into wisdom. This is where it gets really important because here's the place where you understand the only thing to do in life ever, for whatever reason, under any circumstances, under any conditions ever, is to be compassionate. Because it is the nature of the compassion that carries the consciousness through the karma into the rebirth, assures the quality of the rebirth, that you can be able to pursue dharma or have enough resources that you can study and so on. And that's the complete compassion aspect. And then wisdom dissolves into spontaneous presence, which basically is why there's Zogchen and Mahamudra and Zen. And spontaneous presence dissolves into what they call spontaneous presence dissolving into primordial purity, which you can be living in today in this moment, even if everything in your world's going wrong, even if you're dying, even if your whole world is upended, you can be dwelling currently in spontaneous presence, dissolving into purity, which is uh, sometimes called non-cessation. In other words, that state doesn't have to cease. All the other states conditioned have to cease. They're impermanent. But this state isn't born, so it doesn't dissolve. So it just sits there like a hen on an egg, sort of, I guess. Or a politician waiting for a vote. You know, I don't know, something. Keep it entertaining. All right. Then once the white element of the father 
and the red element of the mother get together, you know, sex, and she gets pregnant. They get pregnant, I guess. Then consciousness swoons, goes back through those eight steps, the four of the lights and the four of the aggregates, four of the elements. And again, you swoon out, and the next thing you know is you've awakened in a womb. Now, of course, you're not there because consciousness is there, but not you. So what realm we're born into is determined by our karma and our dominating passion. So, for instance, if you're an angry kind of person, you're going to probably have a lot of hell realm type experiences. And if you're a greed-dominated person, you're going to probably have a lot of hungry ghosts hovering around and have somewhat challenged discrimination. If you're mentally undeveloped, you'll have a pretty good life probably, but you'll be in the God realm, but you'll have suffer from a lot of pride. So it'll be hard in that realm to, to get moving. If you're kind of dull and spent your time watching too many Netflix movies, <laughs> you'll be probably born in the animal realm, you know, lazy. And then if you're impatient and need to dominate, you know, that need to dominate and you're impatient, it's got to be my way and all that stuff, then you're probably going to be reborn in the jealous God realm. And then if you're not sure what's going on, you have no idea what's up, you're totally confused by the whole thing and you're, you're, you want to get kind of comfortable, but at the same time, you're not sure you can, then you get to be born in the human realm and you get to do this all over again probably making very similar decisions, making very similar choices, unless spontaneous presence dissolving into complete purity moment to moment, and this is how you do it. So ordinary beings identify with the passions, right? Ordinary beings identify with their attachments and their clingings, and awakening beings identify with the clear light. Awakening beings identify with the spacious emptiness, the nature of the phantomasgoria appearance of the world through the label of the deities, if you wish. And so they are doing transformation yoga all day, every day, whether they're at the office or on the playing field or in a relationship. They have no illusion that there's a them there doing it. It's the play of the deities. And so then with this kind of understanding, the bodhisattva has the power to go in and out of form seamlessly because they don't get fooled or misinterpret the nature of the illusion to think that it's going to produce a fixed, reliable, consistent sense of me ever. Cool. That's it in a nutshell. How do we know all this? Well, the bardo of meditation, which you can do in this lifetime now. You can do this today. You can start today. The bardo of meditation reveals it all. And through training and practice, we can come to recognize the mind essence without fainting. That's big. You want to be able to go through this without fainting if you can. But even if you do faint, you want to be able to wake up fast. So in meditation... That is uh, not swooning from the end of one thought or feeling into the next. You've got a good shot. So you know how you're meditating and a thought will end and you won't notice it and you'll be in the next thought or you'll have a feeling and you won't notice it and you'll be in the next feeling. In that moment, you fainted. 
So you, you want to really try to see the end of things. That's the bardo meditation, meditation on death. You want to try to see the end of something and the space before the gap, right, the bardo, before the rising of something else. And that will help train you for death and it will help train you to remain in a good state no matter what. And then the recognition of pure perception, abiding where there's no abiding, stability, that's the wisdom mind knowing where you're putting your refuge, and uh, the recognition of pure perception, those three, pure perception, abiding where there's no abiding, and wisdom mind, as easy as snapping your finger three times if you don't let yourself be fooled by everything. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate and review Dharma If You Dare on your favorite podcast app to help more people find and benefit from these teachings. And don't forget to subscribe to get episodes and bonus content sent directly to your device. If you are looking to incorporate more activities into your life to support contemplation and introspection, I recommend our weekly reflection series called 52 Reflections. Sign up for free, and once a week you'll receive a short passage and follow-up prompt that you can use to frame your day, your week, or a meditation session. You can learn more and sign up for free by visiting planetdharma.com slash 52reflections. See you next time, and may all our efforts benefit all beings 